it's that special time of year, Joey, where now the the interstate is nothing but the big yellow cheeses taking the children to the schools and the the angry commuter parents sitting there going i'm gonna be late like that you know and just like weaving in and out and honking at people and driving 45 in the 20 school zone it's a fantastic time of year it it, it is really wonderful especially for those of us who have kids and it's a wonderful feeling to see them get on the bus Mm -hmm. and then you go woo, and you go home (laughs) some whiskey and you're like yes summer is dead summer summer is officially dead thank god yes yes all four weeks of it that's right that uh, that, that lasted now is it how, i mean seriously how long because you have you have a school-aged child how long was summer seriously uh summer started um end of may mm-hmm. like last two weeks in May is when it started and then Mm -hmm. it runs, you know, um, until a a week or so ago. Uh, It seems like forever. It (laughs) seems like it runs forever. And I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like a magical time when you're younger, it's a magical time and it seems to go on forever. And, and I do still have some of those nostalgic romantic um, uh, moments during the summer when it's, you know, June or July and the, the cicadas are out and you have the Ooh. magic hour sunsets and grills going. Well, we, uh, we're two lonely PhDs and, uh, sometimes we like to talk about, you know, education, you know, the, the real crisis, uh, in our country, but you know, most times it's, uh, mainly about movies. It's kind of our thing. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. Uh, this week on the show, Watched a couple movies. Dr. Watson watched St. Vincent from 2014, directed by Theodore Melfi, starring Bill Murray, uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy, and Naomi Naomi Watts. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, I watched uh, a Coen Brothers Sam Raimi joint from 1994, The Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, Tim Robbins, Paul Newman, uh, (laughs) Jennifer Jason Lee, and a cast of Cohen regulars although by that point they really weren't Cohen regulars but they like John Polito's even in like one little scene being John Polito <laughs> like it's, it's fantastic but uh all right so so you you when you texted me this movie and I had seen this movie on like basic cable on like a rainy Saturday afternoon <laughs> and I just remember sitting there watching it going okay <laughs> So, I mean, like, so, so what, bring us, bring us up to speed here on St. Vincent. Okay. So St. Vincent is a story of a struggling single mother, Maggie, played by Melissa McCarthy. Uh, She moves next door to Vincent, played by Bill Murray, who's, you know, grumpy, drinker, gambler, cynic, uh, war veteran, curmudgeon. I think is the, is the appropriate term and uh, desperate for money. Uh, Vincent takes on the task of babysitting uh, Maggie's 12 year old son, Oliver played by Jaden Martell. And uh, you know, you, you could kind of write this with a computer algorithm, right? Oliver <laughs> and Vincent are going to strike a surprisingly odd and, you know, quirky friendship. And Oliver then uh, proceeds to uh, 
write Vincent's story in a saintly way as a uh, an assignment for his uh, his Catholic school, and um, so the story is is really uh, not gonna. I, I mean, I guess Jeff, when you're saying like, well, why, was the question like why Saint Vincent? Was that was that the question? No, it wasn't why Saint Vincent. It was it was just more you know because I, I just again having watched it, I was just kind of curious about you must have seen something in it, you know, that, that I didn't necessarily catch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, Theodore Melfi was not someone that, you know, uh, I know I normally gravitate to directors first and, uh, St. Vincent was, uh, his first theatrical, you know, debut, uh, it was his first film. Uh, I think people probably know him more for, uh, the movie hidden figures, which was a couple of years later. Uh, That's probably what he's, you know, household name for that movie. People are going to recognize that probably faster than something like St. Vincent. But uh, the reason why this movie stands out for me is that we, I I am fascinated Jeff by the curmudgeon character, right? Because that's a staple character that has survived cinema for hundreds of years it's it you know yeah. literary roots right i mean you can it's as old as scrooge uh you know but but we have um we have seen over the last hundred or some odd years from lionel barrymore in it's a wonderful life to the grinch to you know all the way up to bill murray's even played scrooge right and scrooge mm-hmm. i mean we've seen this character uh, be a staple throughout literature as well as cinema and so i'm always fascinated with it because i think that curmudgeon characters do work as devices in stories but only if uh some sort of empathy can be elicited within the story right and and it's almost uh really difficult to do that in a non-formulaic way because you know there's going to be some kind of a reveal about a curmudgeon, right? There's going to be some sort of backstory that we didn't know that evokes, you know, this kind of sense of forgiveness uh, or tolerance, right? We're going to we're going to tolerate this curmudgeon's behavior. Somehow, though, the grizzled silver foxes of Hollywood have, you know, have survived in these uh, in these roles, and we're we're really kind of wrapped up in it, I think, because. You know, I think it all goes back, at least for me anyway, to Scrooge, right? Because it's a, um, it's a, you're watching the curmudgeon character sort of struggle with their own self and the transformation uh, has to come and, and you have to have this feeling of a, of a revelation. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's difficult because you're, you know, you're so condensed, like with Scrooge, it's like one night, right? And then all of a sudden, he's, you know, just a totally different, you know, individual after he's had his long night of, of memory and soul searching. And we don't, we don't really get that with St. Vincent. But what I think is really interesting about this is that this is, you know, 50 years into his career, Bill Murray is playing this character that we know he's played several times before the sort of lovable loser. I was going to uh, ask you that because I mean, what's, what's, what's the difference between this performance and, you know, the, the sad sack of shit and Rushmore, you know, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's 
not necessarily the Rushmore can't necessarily be defined as curmudgeon, but it certainly it's can close. be. It's pretty damn close. Right. And so you could argue, Jeff, that Bill Murray just plays the same role, you know, over and over and over again. And, and in these kinds of movies in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, Jeff, that what stands out about St. Vincent, and the reason why I still like it is that I think that Bill Murray is probably less deadpan in this movie than he's been in anything else like say broken flowers or lost in translation or you know this character has so much more genuine emotional volatility and he's uh you know he's too poor he's too desperate Mm. and he's probably even too angry to be jaded about his situation Mm. so there I, i got a sense i think it's one of his strongest performances because he has this just sort of emotional vulnerability to him that doesn't always exist in some of his other roles um i I thought it was interesting that melfi originally wrote this script for jack nicholson to play this role Mm -hmm. and i nicholson turned it down and suggested bill murray uh that bill murray do it And I think I understand why, because Jack Nicholson had played uh, Melvin Udall in As Good As It Gets. And And that's the ultimate curmudgeon. Right. I mean, he won an Oscar for that. And so, you know, I mean, it's like, why would I want to keep playing characters that are that are, you know, incredibly similar to that? (laughs) Right. Um, But what was fascinating to me was when I did a little bit of research on on the sort of backstory of the creation of the movie, Melfi, you know, Bill Murray. Bill Murray's really interesting character, right? I mean, just in real life. Um, Mm -hmm. He doesn't have uh, an agent or a manager or anything like that that you go through. You call a 1-800 number to get a hold of Bill Murray. No, I'm I'm, crazy. actually serious here. You call a 1-800 number uh, and you have to leave messages and then he'll he'll call you back. And so maybe, I, you, know, right. I, you know, which is, you know, I mean, this is sort of the, 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 the lore, right. That's created around him. And I think he's done that, you know, strategically and purposefully, you know, he so you don't of, think it's, it's performance art type things. It's just him just being uh, just sort of like, this is my process. I, I mean, uh, I think, well, I, I don't know, but I mean, I, I have to guess that judging from, just about every movie that he's in we hear the same narrative of is he going to show up on day one you know we we don't know you know um sofia coppola was really uh uh detailed about this in her commentary on lost in translation you know ivan reitman was also about ghostbusters they didn't know if he was going to show up you just don't know right and so i you know maybe he's kind of the the isolated loner in real life and and he feels like he just has to step into this persona at the maybe it is part of his process did you have you seen that little that that film about him like that he goes out and like shows up at ice cream parties and all of this stuff so that's why i asked about the performance art aspect of it because it seems like that seems like something he wants to do but yet can't fully commit to it you know what i mean like yeah no that's that's interesting um you know, and does he do that sort of shtick or performance stuff? Because it hasn't always gone well. I mean, I have read where, hey, he Bill Murray busted into our wedding reception and right. drank all of our really expensive booze and mm-hmm. and kind of took over the whole thing. And mm-hmm. and you know, we didn't really appreciate that. You know, 
So, so there is, it's not always a positive sort of performance thing. Uh, I get the sense that that's just kind of who, who he is. And maybe that, that sort of uh, flash mob kind of style that he has with appearing at places and doing things like that. I I will say that also, I think another key is, is that is, is, you know, if you really want to, I think that he's very honest, or at least he, he gives the appearance of honesty every time he's on a Cubs broadcast. Hmm. Like they'll go and talk to him for a few minutes and mm-hmm. he's just talking sport. He's just talking Cubs, you know, I, and, and there you see more of, I think maybe who he might really be, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's just like, he's just, he loves sports. I, I mean, he just loves sports. He especially loves the Cubs. Like, <laughs> well, you can relate to him for, for that, for that. Yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, he's, you know, I mean, we grew up with him. Oh God. Yes. I mean, late seventies, he's been in so many movies and I mean, me, meatballs, if you've never seen meatballs and again, he did it as a favor, (laughs) you know, I think he might've filmed 10 days or something like that. Like it was very short. And again, they didn't know he was going to show up or not. And he just kind of, there's a sweetness to him in that movie. Mm -hmm that relationship with that young uh kid you know i mean it's just like they go for the jog and there's just a real vulnerability there you know and and you you get that with him from time to time you know in in his performances um but i think it's i think it's i think it's fair to say that he has um uh, sort of a litany of things that he can do as that kind of deadpan character where it's all just sort of uh, delivered flat, dry kind of, it's maybe it's the Wes Anderson stuff. Well, that is sort of taints my, uh, uh, my perception a little bit of him. And so maybe St. Vincent stands out a little bit more because uh, it is, different than than those Wes Anderson vehicles um he's allowed to do uh a little bit more um I I just I developed some empathy for that character and again it's 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 cookie cutter I mean you know they developed the fact that he has a wife who is suffering you know from um Alzheimer's and so, you know, he's visiting her and he's taking care of her. And these are the things that, of course, we don't know or don't see about him. The average Joe doesn't see Vincent doing these things right. Oliver gets that glimpse, right? Like us, we sort of get let in. And so I, I did. It worked for me. That movie uh, develops a sense of where he's not. And it's not you don't hate him. You just it's just sort of like. Oh my God, he's going to be that annoying neighbor that you know does all this crazy, you know, kooky stuff. Which and is it, also a trope. It is <laughs> on top of curmudgeon. We have also the 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 wacky neighbor, the wacky neighbor. Um, yeah. but he, but he doesn't do that, and he and he isn't really that way. And uh, you know, they also talk about uh, extensively in the in the movie about his um, you know experience in the war how he was, you know, actually uh, an awarded and decorated veteran. You know, these are things that he did accomplish in his life. And so I think the, I think probably the other thing that draws me into this, Jeff, is looking at 
someone's longevity or their life and the kind of mark that they've left in the world. And so I really love that concept of sainthood and like, you know, what, what, what do we, who do we classify as saint worthy and uh, you know, what are the acts and what are the things that we sort of, um, you know, ascribe to when we think about those kinds of things. It's, um, it's, it's fascinating to me uh, to think about it because, you know, um, there's a fine line between saints and sinners. Um, <laughs> yes, and, and we walk it often. <laughs> we, and we, we walk it daily. And I, and I yeah. just, you know, I feel like I feel like Vincent is kind of an everyman in that way. Like if, if we looked at everyone's dirty laundry and we sort of measured it out, you know, would the good outweigh the bad? And I, I think that's really what kind of caught me about it was that, you know, it, yeah, it's quirky, you know, it's got its own little spin. This particular story has its own little spin, but it's not, it's not necessarily redefining the genre. It's just making little smart twists and turns and, I think some of that came from Bill Murray himself, you know, because Melfi, I was going to say this, that that Melfi uh, finally got a meeting with him. I mean, he called this 800 number for months and they finally got a meeting. Murray, Bill Murray picked him up at the airport in LA and they went to the drive-in at In-N-Out Burger. And Melfi says, the first thing he said was, I like the script, but I want to make some changes. And he got, you know, real nervous. Melfi's like, oh, my God, you know, maybe this is the wrong way. But actually, all he suggested was structurally changing Vincent's lines to where the joke line, the punchline comes at the very beginning as opposed to the end, which somehow in the process, I mean, I didn't see the original script, but somehow in the process that made the whole thing work for Bill Murray's style of humor. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that's because it allowed him to sort of improv improvise his way through uh and and create some other stuff that maybe wasn't scripted yeah we'll never know uh, all those specifics but i would imagine that if you have a talented actor like that mm-hmm. comedically you tr- you cut them loose and you let them you know kind of try their thing well, which, um, which brings it up to an interesting contrast point here because you've got melissa mccarthy who's no lightweight uh, herself you know who's an improv master and is a very smart writer and a very smart comedian agreed you know i'm i'm more interested as you're now selling me on re-watching this movie you know what's is is she just not got enough to do here or yeah she's kind of unfortunately stuck in the role of being the 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 responsible parent and so what she inevitably adopts is of course two kids right she's got she's got oliver and vincent now to worry about because she can't trust them together so the the dynamic and the chemistry between them is is interesting because she's almost mothering both of them uh and they do have some interesting but mccarthy's very subdued in this she's not given a lion's share of the comedy and so that's kind of fascinating to see her be forced to be a little bit more contained and restrained because she is very big, like larger than life, which I mean, she's and funny, but like, Oh God. Yes. Um, but, but that contrast is, I mean, it's Murray's driving the comedy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, she's the straight person that's reacting mm-hmm. and, um, and she's, she's just not given the opportunity. So it's, so it's a different role for her too. Um, in that sense. I mean, I'm not just not to say that she doesn't have anything that's funny. I mean, she has a couple of things here and there, but it's not, it's not really her, um, 
her modus operandi. She's not the driving comedic force for sure. Uh, the kid's really good. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I think that uh, too, you have probably this sense that because Oliver is coming from a divorced home and the biological father is, is a, an individual who has questionable character, you know, you, you look at these like, well, who's worse, right? As a father figure, like the biological father or, or somebody like Vincent, right? Like who, who I mean, who's the, <laughs> who's the more worrisome influencer over this kid, you know, because the mom is working all the time. Like she's just trying to make ends meet or, uh, and and really out of desperation has to rely on 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 Vincent as uh, as the babysitter. And actually, you and I can have a lot of connections with that as well. Oh, you, you know? mean in terms of like varying role models and, and yeah, yeah, absolutely you know, hardworking mothers, you know, doing you just yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at one point my mom was working three jobs, and I you know I think yep. I saw her maybe like forty five minutes in the morning, and that was it. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. it was just uh, insane. You know, my mom, so, went, my mom once worked at an actual convenience store as as a clerk. Like when I was 12, 11, 12, we were living in Florida and her day job was she was uh, doing accounting for a tax attorney, like new spreadsheets and secretarial work. And then at night she uh, she was a clerk at a gas station. Well, it raises the question of saints, right? You know, because uh, certainly Melissa McCarthy, Maggie in the movie, uh, is trying to do the saintly thing. I mean, she's trying to do the responsible thing. Uh, and she just needs, you know, some help uh, in, the, in the process. And so I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people can relate to that character. Um, and yeah, I mean, I certainly grew up thinking that the the masculine or the male representation uh was uh, either absent or very <clears throat> sketchy in terms of it, it it sometimes it's there sometimes it's not in my instance you know my dad left when we were very young mm-hmm. when i was very young and uh there was really no father figure to kind of build on you know growing up so and mine's been in and out you know, more, more right. in, in the Working last man, 20, yeah, I mean, right? more I mean, in, in the last 20 years, but it, right. there was a period of time when it was in and out. You know? Right. And, and so what you do is, you know, as you look to other, just like Oliver, you look to other males or figures that are around you, whether they're, you know, whether you're imaginatively identifying with some kind of father figure in cinema mm-hmm. or whether you have, you know, the neighbor or, uh, you know, best friend's dad or something like that, that you kind of like look to for some mm-hmm. sort of example or, or a way, how, do, how do I be uh, a person in this world that's of good character? You know, you have to have role models that sort of <laughs> guide you through those processes. There's no, there's no playbook that gets downloaded. Right. Uh, you know, and so you have to figure these things out through lived experience and you're going to have people that influence you in those ways, positively or negatively. Hopefully, you have more positive than you do negative. We're two lonely PhDs. I'm if Dr. you couldn't Jeff- tell, if yeah. you couldn't tell, 
Uh, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. Uh, we talk about films every week. Um, and uh, we just wrapped up a discussion on uh, the 2014 Theodore Melfi written and directed film St. Vincent with Bill Murray and Melissa McCarthy. I will now jump into a very interesting rewatch experience. Uh, and that is the Hudsucker Proxy. How long had it I, been since you'd seen since you'd seen this? It had been 20 years since I've seen it. Mm -hmm. And anyway, uh, directed by the Coen brothers, co-written by Sam Raimi, who also served as first assistant director on this film. I'm going to get more into that. Uh, also, uh, to give you a quick synopsis of the film, Norville Barnes, played by Tim Robbins, who is freshly graduated from the Muncie, Indiana School of Business, comes to New York City in the late 1950s to make his dreams come true. First off, I just want to say Joel Silver picked this film up. Joel Silver, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, every action movie you could possibly think of, every cocaine-fueled nightmare that you could think of, Joel Silver is the one that bought this film, like made this film happen. He wanted and Tom I Cruise. Any. Did he want Tom Cruise? Joel Silver wanted Tom Cruise, and Cohen said, eh, no. No. Tim Robbins. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the paycheck. No, we're no. not. Yeah, we're not going with him. So, I mean, just that just alone right there is a red flag. Joel Silver trying to produce a Cohen Brothers movie. I mean, I mean, if two polar opposite worlds could ever collide, this this is it. And I'm just it's like, the only I collaboration, know. though, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like, what was he? What was he thinking? Like, he was just like, oh, I can, I can turn these guys. It, it's just like, no, you can't. Because <laughs> I was, I was reading up on it. It was just like, oh, he was a big fan of their films. I'm like, well, well, that's great, but that doesn't mean you can produce their film. I mean, right. it, it's, it's good. There's a big difference there, <laughs> you know. <Right>. Also, <laughs> Joey, this film's got Paul Newman. I know. This film has Paul freaking Newman, man. Chewing up the scenery with the cigar and going, sure, 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 sure. You know, I mean, just how in the hell did they get Paul Newman? I have no idea. I can't find anything about it because I was just like, I can't imagine them. I want to know who pitched Paul Newman. Like, you know, what, what that pitch meeting must have been like because they're just like, here's what we do. And, you know, Newman, a very smart, not only actor, but filmmaker, artist, creative person. I mean, I'm just curious, what, you know, what really hooked him into doing this film? I mean, he's maybe on screen 15 minutes, um, I think, probably all told in a two hour runtime. Mm -hmm. 15, 20 minutes, you know, interspersed here and there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it just truly uh, amazes me that they they got to work with Paul Newman. I mean, I mean that's that's like a goat, man. <laughs> it's a big land. When was this? Mid nineties. This is ninety four. Yeah. So I mean, he was starting he was to around, really, but but he was around, not. but it was was not doing a lot of projects. So um, this script was originally finished in nineteen eighty five. Wow. It doesn't get made, shot until ninety three, ninety four, and released in ninety four. That explains a lot about this movie, because this movie is really setting its sights on a critique of capitalism. 
and it's a Reagan era film made in the Clinton era. Mm. It doesn't fit. Mm. It doesn't, you know, from, I, I mean, you know, the future is now long hours and low pay. That's what the ad says. Like when they flash <laughs> in on it for Norval Barnes, you know, when he wants to go to Hudsucker, it's like the thing under Hudsucker under the clock, you know, it's just like the future is now, um, you know, but it, and, and this is basically to the, the, the other plot of the film is that after uh, the head of Hudsucker Industries throws himself out a window in the wonderful <laughs> beginning of the movie. Uh, well, not actually the beginning of the movie, but it's pretty close. Uh, you know, they come up, Paul Newman hatches this scheme and says, what we're going to do is we're going to hire an idiot as president and we're going to sell our, all our stocks and we're going to tank it because Hudsucker wanted to make the company an IPO, meaning that he wanted to make it public. And this horrifies the board because they're just like, Letting the public buy stock. That's crazy. You're crazy. That's crazy. How are we supposed to be rich? So again, this this sort of you know corporate raider uh mentality that we see in Wall Street, Oliver Stone's film, uh, you know, tackles basically a lot of this, you know, with the stripping of Blue Star uh airlines, you know, you know, go public, go public, go public, go public, you know, and then dump it, you know, then trash it. I made my money on it and I'm gonna trash right. it. That's basically what they're trying to do here. Um, you know, and I found, I found it in my, in my notes, I found it strange that, you know, Hollywood tried many times in the, from the mid eighties until the mid nineties with this sort of idea of stuff. Like, do you remember other people's money, mm -hmm. the Jewison film, same thing, corporate Raider come in, strip the company down. You know, you want to make it, you know, it's all about turning over that stock right selling selling it selling it you know the future is now there is no past in business right just, you've got to make this happen uh, uh now um i wish and i i think that this might have been this this has got to be one of the turnoffs for this film in 94 because again it, it's 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 about it's 10 years out of its date as far as trying to like because by 94 let's be honest you know we've got uh, the Miramax revolution's happening, Tarantino, uh, you know, Hollywood's going more blockbuster than ever before, you know, the blockbuster summers and, you know, all this. And it's just like, it's reaching that almost probably the pinnacle until it rebounds again, you know, at, at, in the 2000s. But there was a time, of course, where the summers kind of dipped, you know, dipped off, but it, it just seems like it's a film that, that, that it's out of time and it doesn't help either that this film is too much of a mashup it, it, it it's 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 jesus christ like mm. this is every howard hawks preston sturgis frank yeah. capra yeah looney yeah. tunes uh, fantasy especially the clock stopping thing fantasy right. aspect you know at, at the end where the, the janitor don't give me and the janitor i'm still trying to figure that one out like the janitor stops the clock you know and norville stops from plummeting to his death you know like literally stops plummeting from plummeting mm -hmm. to his death and the angel of hudsucker comes in. and i'm like okay okay it's a wonderful life get it get it get it you know it, it's just like this but it's trying so hard and i think by this point too this is the third film in a cycle for them miller's crossing barton fink and then this so three of these time period films mm -hmm. and i think too by 94 but it's like we get it mm -hmm. we get it okay we 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 understand that you love you know you know these types of 
films and these types of themes and these types right. of ideas. And of course, then they learn their, <laughs> this is a huge bomb and they learn their lesson. They go away for a few years. What do they come back with? Fargo. You know, that's their bounce back film. And they completely change their, their tone, their style, the everything, you know, go back to basics and it works. And that sort of relaunches them. Yeah, it's an interesting choice for you to do because I know you love the Coen brothers and I, I like them a lot as well, but this is not one of the films that I would put up there as one of their top five. Oh no, it's not even top 10. Might not even make top 10. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the bottom of the list. I mean, I mean, it's, it's right next to uh, uh, intolerable cruelty Uh, (laughs) and uh, also uh, uh, their remake of the lady killers. Those, these three films are, are awful. I mean, they're just really, really trying too hard, and they're really, really bad. Um, this is better than those two films, but in, in, in for a number of reasons. Uh, one reason, uh, Roger Deakins, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please go to your Wikipedia, wiki Roger Deakins, and you're, you're going to get schooled. Just start going through the, just start watching the films. Uh, The expert cinematography of Roger Deakins is a reason to watch the Hudsucker Proxy. Because visually it's beautiful. It's just just so, and I watched it in high def. Oh, nice. Uh, Oh my God, it's so so beautiful, man. Another reason, uh, uh, they have this wonderful postmodern cafe scene where it starts and you got two cabbies sitting there and they're typical Cohen-y kind of, Shouldn't have eaten the special. The special was a bad idea. <laughs> you know, and then we flash and we see Norville Barnes uh, comes in and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is sitting there. And basically, instead of having them do the exposition and everything, we have the cabbies do it. They're just like, and now the sucker's going to go for the gum. Yeah, the lady's turning on the waterworks now. I mean, it is a brilliant piece of postmodern filmmaking, you know, where it's just like, okay, we're going to flip expectations here we're going to look at it from the cabbie's point of view and you also get to see um t- uh, tim robbins and jennifer jason lee do some really wonderful like basically mime work you know in reaction mm-hmm. uh, uh, to everything um and the other the other scene i'll credit in this film which i know for a fact that sam raimi directed uh is the hula hoop montage uh oh, really? that was his major job as as unit director was he films the hula hoop montage and it reeks of rainy like it just you know it's so nicely put together and fast paced and oh i just it's it's delightful to watch that however with that said you know it's this is a difficult movie to get through because again you just become frustrated you know at some point with it and i'm kind of just like i don't you know what 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 is this like i don't you know is this a flex like is this what <laughs> did they really think that this was gonna work yeah i'm not really sure because you know my and it's probably been 20 plus years since mm-hmm. i've seen it but what i do remember about it is that it's visually was was fantastic um yes. and that it was it's set in the 50s but it feels like the 30s yeah, that's of, the other. Right. Yeah, that's the other problem with it. It's like 1958, yeah. 1959, and but yet it feels like it should be like 1947. Right. Yeah. And, and it's and it's it's it almost. I remember thinking, okay, this is Coen Brothers do Capra. You know, they're like they're trying to. Oh, the whole thing, the Howard Hawks, uh, the fast talking ingenue the, right. with Jennifer Jason Lee. I mean, they're they're using 
everyone's every trope every it's just it's just like jesus guys could you pull a little bit of the clay off the walls like maybe that's why it gets frustrating you know mm. um i also remember for some reason I, the clock is yes, such a yes. big deal in that but it's almost like a character in itself the clock well is. just 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 the the idea of time why right. time right. pieces again right. the future is now right uh in, in that business has no no time to stop uh unfortunately they give the giant clock as the big set piece for the big uh uh magical fantasy moment where time literally stops mm -hmm. but that doesn't pay off like it doesn't you know what i mean like it just yeah. it just it's an empty it's just empty and it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere right is that where you were yeah i mean it just it just Maybe. doesn't it, and this is a problem with some Coen Brothers movies, right? It's just like they have a lot of problems often with moving things forward. I'd hate to see this movie without Sam Raimi's input because his slapstick nonsense in, of course, Bruce Campbell, you know, in a minor, minor role getting beat up by Jennifer Jason Lee every chance she gets, um, you know. I'd really hate to see this film without Sam Raimi's input because I think it would have just been a, a worse film. Well, there's, it's, there's, there's, when you are trying to tell, to tell a story that builds upon the visual language as well as all of the character tropes from a certain era, yeah. not just of American history, but of mm -hmm. American cinematic history. Yeah. Um, if you don't, if you're not doing anything, differently with them or if you're not taking them uh into different places um it uh, i personally get frustrated because it started if i wanted to watch one of those movies i'd pop in one of the sturgis films or one of the you right. know like the miracle morgan's creek or something you know I, this I would girl friday yeah just anything from that era why do i need this unless you're going to put some kind of some kind of twist on it uh, and I think so. The, so you end up watching it just to see. Well, let's see how these people, right? These are tours this. tell yeah. this story, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, and yeah, I mean, it, it runs the risk of falling flat. I think you say you say the same thing about St. Vincent, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you 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 see this story over and over. There's got to be something in it that 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 flips it for you uh, and goes, okay, well, no, that's a different you know, take. I've never seen that kind of a performance from an actor before, or I've never seen that story take that kind of a turn, you know? Um, uh, and so homage is great, but homage without purpose. Well, yeah, you don't want to live there. <laughs> you just, you know, you, you want to tip your hat. You don't want to take your hat all the way off. Right. And, you know, here we have them basically shaving their heads like it's <laughs> it's just too, it's just too much right. uh it, that's not to say again it's just like all the great things we love about the cohen's and also sam Raimi are here i mean i laughed many times out loud you know great dialogue jennifer jason lee is amazing in this she's movie so great she's yeah. so great yeah you know tim robbins also you know it, even though he's playing the schmata uh is is not really that dumb norville's really not that dumb like he's just a fish out of water right you know uh but that was another confusing thing you know with the film where it was just like trying to 
sell him in one way as dumb hick from Muncie, but yet he there's this weird like conversation he has with Jennifer Jason Lee at one point. I, I think he brings up like uh, 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 young or you know Jungian something like circle of life really? something like yeah and I'm just kind of like okay well I mean oh yep yeah, I mean he's a smart guy it's just like yeah it's just it's too confusing of a character <laughs> how am I how am I really supposed to feel about Norville Barnes exactly you know and I just kind of walk away at the end and go well I'm just confused by him like he's he's just a very confusing character to me because they so, could have gone so many different ways with it. Yeah, it's not like it's Mr. Smith gets to run the company. It's exactly. Not because, you know, you have more of a richer understanding of what Jimmy Stewart's character is doing in Mr. Yes. Smith Goes to Washington. But right. it's 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 kind of that same um, it's kind of that same character trope. And I, I you know, it's just not as fresh for me. So I can't mm-hmm. really jump in there uh and and talk more about that i can remember that tim robbins you know was a pretty sought after actor for several he did years it, and he does it, he does a really good job in this film you um know? and he's a pretty solid comedic actor I people mean, forget that too like i you know what i love it when he shows up in high fidelity as that ian guy <laughs> <laughs> the patchouli the, the the ponytail the whole nine like that's that's one of my favorite parts of that movie and 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 uh, you know tim robbins in shortcuts you know altman's shortcuts yeah, as yeah. the biker cop that is trying to you know who's having the affair and who's trying to come across as like this you know larger than life character you know, jennifer jason lee's in that too you know does She's a great in job well. in that too uh, but yeah, Robbins was a big deal um, for about a good four to five year stretch there. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah. So he was sought after. So I mean, I, and but but the character itself, you know, what I, what I'm hearing from you is that it leaves a lot that's unresolved. Like we're just not really sure how to feel about. And that's not. I'm going to say this, this is not Tim Robbins' fault. Like this is this is on the Coens and Raimi. Like right. that they're just you know. This is maybe this is again a reason like why crime wave didn't work. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's it's you know, I know they blame the producers of that. I'm like, no, no, this this story was thin to start with. Yeah. Like this is, you know, this is a concept. <laughs> this isn't a story. It's just this is like I'm speaking of crime wave. Like it's just like this is this isn't a story. This is a concept. Like this this isn't something that, that just you guys just got too 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 passionate you know about and could do no wrong you know and just felt bulletproof this is the thing though if you're gonna do nostalgia is a powerful pill mm-hmm. and you know when you when you start when you start coming at something from a concept perspective and this is this is also my fear with all these 80s reboots that we're seeing it's the top gun maverick fallout right mm-hmm. the concept is there but the story is there with Top Gun Maverick, um, you know, with some of these other things, Roadhouse, Beverly Hills Cop Four, you know, all these things that are that are that are launching. Would you put Prey in there? I would. Okay. Haven't seen that yet, but I'd certainly put it in there. Uh, it's it's revitalizing mm-hmm. an old franchise or an old from concept, the '80s, right? From the <laughs> 80s, old concept, and whether you uh, whether you have the ability to take that concept and then present something new 
on that concept is going to make or break, I think, the film with audiences because, you know, I, I hear I hear this said all the time that sequels, uh, you know, revisionist films, reboots, they 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 are basically trying to give you the same film every single time. And I just don't think that's true. I, I think no, no, and, 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 the good and ones are the ones that take it somewhere different. If you want to reach out to us, there is a number of ways. One, you can look in our show notes or on our webpage and click on our Discord. That's where we like to go over there and add extra information about the shows, uh, uh, post supplemental material, sometimes even post whole films that are available. By the way, I had my first YouTube takedown. I had to take down Cure uh, because somebody uh, got all uppity. So uh, it's really? gone now. Yeah, I had to take it down. So it's just like, um, well, there you go. See, it does happen. So you like a cease and desist letter or something like that? No, no. We just did the video thing where it's just like, this is, you know this user has taken this down because they've been requested to take it down. So it wasn't us, not our fault. Right. It was the person who had posted it on YouTube, which I'm just like, Hey, six degrees of separation. Fantastic. Uh, But, but we do try to keep it uh, at least a little above board uh, when we can. Uh, I won't say all the time, but you know, copyrights are funny things. Uh, Well, you know, you know, I'll see you in court. Um, right. Right. So you can go over to our Discord and, and do that. Uh, you can subscribe, rate, and uh, uh, leave notes about the show through uh, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Google, iHeartRadio, Dear God, Braun, every uh, podcast platform you can think of. Uh, I actually encourage people to please uh, rate and subscribe to the show because that lets us know, number one, uh, who you are and thank you for listening. And number two, you know, maybe, you know, what, how, how we can uh, sort of adjust the show, you know, as, as we go. We are not quite uh, uh, obtuse enough not to, uh, not to make, you know, slight changes uh, when necessary. Uh, if those two things don't work for you, you can email us. Uh, lonelyphds at gmail.com that's l-o-n-e-l-y-p-h-d-s at gmail.com and we can uh we can chit chat with you uh from over there uh thanks so much for listening this week uh i'm dr jeffrey hayes dr joseph watson i will see you next time (laughs) 